You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited uh, to bring you an interview with Tara Laskowski, and this has been uh, something that I've been looking forward to recording uh, for quite a while. Her brand new book, The Mother Next Door, came out earlier this week, and uh, this is one of my favorite books of the year, and we're cranking up toward uh well it, it is fall now it, where i live it doesn't feel much like fall but hopefully some cooler weather is coming along um but this book absolutely got me in the mood and uh, i think you're gonna uh know exactly what we're talking about as we as we uh chat about this book welcome to the show tara hi hey thank you so much for having me I'm so excited to have you. Uh, Tara, we've got so much to talk about today, but before we do, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Oh, um, oh man, I feel like it's like been in the fabric of my beings <laughs> forever. Um, I remember in elementary school, writing stories and binding them in these like little plastic uh, binder sheet kind of things that my dad would bring home from work. And I would write the story and I'd have it all nice crafted. I'd illustrate it. I'd put my little author bio in the back. It was like, <laughs> yeah, it was very, it was very funny. And I, and I just feel like I've always, I've always wanted to tell stories and it's always been through writing. Um, and I've just carried that with me somehow. So <laughs> what's funny to me, Tara, is that, um, there's, you know, everybody kind of has that, uh, or, or not everybody does, but a lot of people that, that have known for a while that they wanted to be writers, uh, you know, go through this phase where they, they create books themselves when they're little and they, they, you know, write out the story and then find a way to bind it together. And, and they make, uh, you know, their, their own kind of version of, of what they hope to, uh, to put out into the world one day. But, you know, there's, there's, uh, invariably there seems to be a moment where, at one time books just kind of exist. They just come out of the ether somewhere, but then, there's a realization that happens that someone wrote this story and then some other people helped that person to get the story ready and then people published it and and then bookstores or libraries housed them and you know there there are actual people behind these things do you mm -hmm. remember kind of coming to the realization that if people made these then maybe one day I can be one of those people um I still feel like I am mystified by the publishing <laughs> industry, even now, honestly. I'm like, what? How does this happen? Um, but do I do, <laughs> I do, you know, talking about like just real quick back to like the idea of like 
younger writers making these books and and I feel like to some reason for some reason that to me that feels like the books are magic right like they're this this thing that is there and they're so enjoyable and and wonderful that I want to make that and I and I wonder if that's part of it you know it's like you read these books and you see them in the library when you're a kid and it's like oh I want I want to do that um but I do as far as like that realization I guess like it's like reality check right like oh no (laughs) this is like hard work (laughs) I do remember the first time that I realized that I could write more something I guess serious or like that that would that would be relevant to to me or to my life. Um, in high school, I remember reading the story A and P, um, and uh, John uh, John Updike, and it all takes place in a grocery store, uh, teenage kids. But there's like this epiphany moment, and there's like obviously these themes that come out that feel bigger than a grocery store. And I remember reading that and thinking, oh. I can do this. Like, I don't have to write some story about a, you know, in set in 17th century war time, you know, like it doesn't have to be some big deep thing that I don't really know. Like I can make something beautiful that is within my realm of experience. And that was a huge moment for me, I think, um, as a writer. Um, But I think I don't know that I understood the reality of what the publishing industry is and what it means to publish a book until I went into my MFA program. Um, and then that was when I sort of started to understand that there's, there's this big machine out there and it's, I don't know, it felt very elusive and hard to, to get to. Uh, besides the two novels that you published and the mother next door being the, the new book and the, the second of those novels, you have also published a, a a couple of collections of short stories and mm-hmm. uh, been involved in short story publishing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it uh, about the the form of the short story that you love so much? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I am at heart a short story writer, to be honest. And I just, you know, to go back to this idea of epiphanies and small moments, like that's what really gets me as a reader. Um, and and that's what I like to write. Like, I, I really love the small, quiet moments in literature where something really heavy is happening underneath. But uh but it's not about the shootout uh, of the book or the messy fight or something. It's like the quiet moment of, say, doing the dishes and realizing that your marriage is over, you know, like, because that's that to me feels so real, like, because that's how life happens. You know, it's like these right. very small things that you're like, oh, and I love that. I love reading that power and I kind of want to do that and for me it helps I don't know for me writing short stories feels it feels easier to do that sometimes because you are focusing on smaller page count for one um, um but I think sometimes a, not not necessarily a shorter time period but you know you could do that you could do these like quieter things in a short story and for a long time, I was editor of Smoke Long Quarterly, which is a flash fiction publication. So we published 
stories that were a thousand words or less. And you're talking like two pages max. Um, and that was, I loved that because it's just so amazing how, how much can be done in so short of a time, a uh, word count. So I don't know. I just really love, I love the short form. So. For people that, that might not uh, understand what, what that term flash fiction means. So did, Tell people what that entails and and what's the difference in in a flash fiction story as opposed to a, a story like the mother next door. What how are those forms different? I mean, it, technically, it is about word count. So, um, you know, for me, I I say a thousand words or less is flash fiction. That's just because I was editing that for ten years or whatever. But uh, some people will go maybe up to fifteen hundred, but I think that's pushing it. So it's really about, it's about concentrating on getting a full story and a full world and something really awesome happening in a very short, small word count. Um, so that's really what flash fiction is. But it's also, I think, you know, it covers on the edges of like prose poetry to some degree as well, because it's very language focused um, and an image focused and you know it's not as much about developing um a full plot or anything it's really about it could be about an idea or like a very small moment or just exploring an idea in an interesting way so, i mean there's a million ways to do flash fiction but i think for me i love the small focus on like it's it they can they can feel very urgent because they are so short, and I love that. So, Tara, reading the Mother Next Door, um, it it seems to me that you have a certain affinity for Halloween and and the fall season. <laughs> you think? Specifically, what what is your what is your connection to uh to this holiday, to this season, this this feeling almost? Um, I well, it's my birthday. <laughs> So, I thought I'd heard I that. But I on Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's all the reason, but it's just, <laughs> oh my gosh, I just love ho- It's my favorite holiday by far. And in fact, it's such a, I love it so much that like my birthday feels second to Halloween in my mind. It's like, oh yeah, it's Halloween. Oh yeah, it's my birthday too, but it's Halloween. <laughs> So as you know, every year I feel like I try to push a little earlier to put the Halloween decorations out. My husband's like, oh, my God, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know. I just love I, ju- I love spooky things, but in a fun way, like I don't I actually really hate being scared, but I like being scared in a controlled <laughs> environment. <laughs> um I love, I don't know. I just love like creepy things and it's just so fun. I've been listening to this podcast called The Strange and Unusual and she picks out like various strange and unusual things in our history and kind of gives this historic look at say werewolves or the idea of um, like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing. And I was listening to one the other day about the origins of Halloween and I just loved how she talked about this idea that this is the one holiday where we can all face the idea of our mortality, of death, of, you know, these kind of fearful things in a 
sort of celebratory or, or fun way. And I, and I feel like that, that speaks to me in some ways, like, you know, it's, it's very scary to think about dying and, or, you know, your loved ones dying or something bad happening. Um, and so to be able to have like one time in the year where you can kind of play with that in a fun way, I feel like it, I don't know. I just, I, I, it's, it's some, it, this is weird, but it's somehow soothing to me. I just subscribed to the strange and unusual podcast oh, while you were fantastic. talking about that. That's, that's Great. amazing. I can't wait to dig into yeah, that. It's really good. Like I have learned some things listening to that where I was like, Oh, that's really cool. So yes, highly recommend it. So what you said about Halloween, um, is, is interesting to me because I asked this question to thriller and suspense writers and, uh, crime fiction writers, um, a lot. It, it seems to me that uh, all of all of the writers that I've met, um, some people that write some of the scariest, most horrific scenes are some of the kindest, nicest people that you would ever meet. And and I, I kind of find it funny that, um, you know, these these, you know, kind, generous people, you know, really like to look at the darker um, side of life. Sometimes, and I wonder what it is, uh, you know, with, with readers like me that love those kinds of stories. And um, I, I remember as a kid just being a scared kid, scared of everything. And you know, after watching my first horror movie that that some friends of mine you know, tricked me into watching, that uh, you know, washing my hair in the shower for like a year with my eyes wide open because I wouldn't right? <laughs> close my eyes in the shower. What was you the know, movie? Do you remember? It was. I think it was My Bloody Valentine. It was a horrible oh, B movie. It was one. so. It was so bad. So bad. Yeah. this was the, like the the early '80s version. Yeah, it was, it was so great. bad. But but someone so got killed in the shower, and you know from then uh, on, I I couldn't, you know, I couldn't ever take my eyes off of it. I but, have a shower. I have a horror shower <laughs> experience too. I I watched some terrible movie. I think it was called Worms or something. But anyway, there's this scene where she's taking a shower, and all of a sudden, instead of the water, the worms start coming out. Uh, and I like seriously to this day. I can't, I cannot look at earthworms. Like I am terrified of earthworms because of that movie. So I understand completely. That's so bad. That's so bad. Dabble is a proud sponsor of Author Stories. Dabble is an easy to use cloud-based writing tool that gives writers a way to organize, plot, and create amazing stories wherever they are. Write in our desktop app on your Mac or Windows computer, tablet, or mobile device. Dabble syncs your latest version with the cloud on all your devices. Write anywhere and anytime inspiration strikes. We got you. Dabble is my preferred writing tool, and I think it will be yours as well. Visit DabbleWriter.com for your free trial. You have an amazing story idea. You execute the writing and editing flawlessly, and now the only thing missing are readers. We can help you go from author to author superhero with Story Origin. Story Origin is a one-stop shop for marketing tools with a community of amazing authors working together to find reviewers, build mailing lists, increase sales, and collect feedback from beta readers. Everything an author needs all in one place from providing review copies or beta copies, reader magnets to ensure you stay connected with readers, easily distribute audio promo codes, universal retail links to send readers directly to the proper point of purchase, 
or provide direct download links for members of your mailing list. Story Origin has all the tools you need in one easy-to-use site. Use the promo code ASP21 at checkout when subscribing to the yearly plan and you will get 10% off your first year. This code will expire December 31st, so hurry over and subscribe now. StoryOriginApp.com So what is it that that makes us want to to be scared a little bit, but like you described, you know, kind of come from the comfort and safety of our favorite reading chair? Um, Why do we like to explore these darker subjects and topics um, while not being in danger ourselves? Is, Is that what it is? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what it is. I'm going to go back to this podcast again, because I'm telling you, I'm learning all these cool things. But she was talking about this study that was done where, you know, people, they they hooked up the things to people's brains and um, had them watch a scary movie. And then they had them, I forget what the other experience was, but it was like more happy. And anyway, they, they show that there's something about the the, the the emotion of fear when you are actually you know your brain knows that you're safe but you're yeah. still like scared because you're you know you're watching a movie or you're doing one of those scare houses or whatever it is where you you're logically you know nothing really bad's going to happen but there's like a deliciousness to the idea of of being scared and it hits the same pleasure areas of your brain as you know being euphoric or whatever so I think that there's that, there's something like wired in our brains. Um, but I also think there's like horror um, and scary things hit on a lot of social issues in ways that other genres don't do as much or, you know, they do, but I don't know, like there's something about the horror genre and like crime fiction that can really touch at some of these like social issues and social fears that we have and sort of explore them in interesting ways. Um, and so I think there's also that, right? Like we are exploring these things and also thinking about other issues as well. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not an expert on any of this, but just, (laughs) you know, personally, this is sort of why I think I'm drawn to it. Sure. Um, Tara, I'm fascinated by the beginnings of things. Um, it, at one moment in time, the mother next door did not exist in any form, fashion, or it, it just didn't exist yet. Right. And then either a, a character walks onto the stage of your mind or maybe you start thinking about, you know, um, a, a Halloween party in an idyllic neighborhood and, you know, what's really going on under the surface that that we don't see. Or, or, you know, some thought process goes along or maybe it's a news story that you see and and then, you know, the what if game starts playing in your mind. And then in 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 some way, the mother next door does exist. And then as the writer, it's your job to kind of excavate that story and dig it out and and find out what it is. What, what was that first moment of inspiration for you? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, and. Unfortunately for me, this book was a nightmare to write. <laughs> so <laughs> it evolved in the weirdest way. Um, and so the initial idea that I had for this book was nothing like what it ended up being. Um, it involved a woman 
who was an Uber driver and she was like driving around this neighborhood she used to live in and she, her daughter was missing. I don't know. I had this whole plot thing and I actually wrote a draft of the book, 70,000 words, and then realized it was not working. And so Mm -hmm. I had to throw it all away and start again. Um, And so I was, I wanted, I liked the setting of this sort of upper middle class neighborhood and this cul-de-sac. And, you know, I'm always fascinated by the ideas of cul-de-sacs and like the way that the houses sort of face each other. And it's like, you're almost always on display in some way. And, um, and so I, I wanted to keep the setting, but that's like probably the only thing I think I kept from the draft. And I had actually set, initially set the book in May, uh, right around the time when the teenagers in the book would, would be graduating from high school because I wanted it to be set around this idea of graduation and stuff, but it just wasn't spooky enough, you know, it wasn't suspenseful enough. And I was very frustrated with the whole process and the pandemic had hit at that time and everything was very stressful. And I said to my editor, I'm like, I am going to change this to Halloween. And she was like, go for it. (laughs) I'm like, I love Halloween. It's my favorite thing. It's spooky. Like if I'm going to have to write this draft really fast, I want it to be on a, you know, fun. You know, I want it yeah. to, I want it to be fun. And so that's sort of where it started in the form that it is in now. I'm sorry, this was a long rambly answer, but it's it's weird because I I feel like I pulled in all these different things to make this story and I still honestly am shocked that it's a book because I don't know how I did it. <laughs> Tell me about the IV-5. Um, where did this this idea for um, for this this like I said before this idyllic neighborhood and and there's something else going on there. What what was what was that first kind of thought about? You know the the idea that that the places where we live are a lot of times very different than the uh, than the the um, the thing that we project to the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you hit on that because this book is a lot about perception and the idea of perfect and um, projecting a certain image. And I think, so the Ivy Five is the group of moms in my book who live on this all this one street. And they're sort of the powerful group in the community. They host uh, the annual block party that's really popular and they're like presidents of the PTA at the school and you know they're sort of the ones that make everything happen and uh, I have a character in my book who moves onto the street and she immediately zones in on them and is like I want to be a part of that group Um, because in her mind that would that's like what she wants her life she has this idea of like what her life what a perfect life would be for her and it's you know, living in this neighborhood in this beautiful house with this new husband of hers, and now she's going to be friends with these popular girls or whatever. Um, and yeah, so it is a lot. And I think, I think for moms especially, there's this always this pressure to kind of show that you're on top of things and that you can have it all and you do have it all and everything's great and you're a good parent and you're an excellent employee at whatever job you do and you know there's 
pressures, whether they're internal or external, to kind of show that. And in, in the age of social media, especially, it's it's easier in some ways to project that, right? Because you can take the 700 selfies or family photos and pick the most perfect one and nobody sees the one where they're all fighting in the background <laughs> or whatever. Um, and and so the, the, there becomes this interesting tension between what you're showing to the world or what the world thinks and what's really happening. And I kind of smushed all of that into one street uh, where there's this idea of like, oh, this is like such a wonderful place to live and like such an embrace, like the community, uh, you know, and it's this fun party. But like underneath the surface, there's a lot of other stuff going on and there's a lot of history there that's not so great. And um, so when someone comes in and is like, hey, I know your secret and I'm going to tell people about it, then, you know, all that stuff starts surfacing in in interesting ways. So. That's kind of what I was exploring. And and you hit on it, um, but there's this idea of this, this shared secret. Uh, it's not just one person in the neighborhood who has this secret, but it's it, it it's uh it, it's all the members of the neighborhood that have sort of formed a pact to protect this secret. And right. when you have a shared secret, that brings about a, a whole other dynamic um, that that had to be fun to explore. It definitely does, right? Because the, the you know there's that saying about that once you tell somebody your secret, it's you know it's out there, right. and and so if there's four, five, six people that know it, and then you know there it's a lot of scrambling of like who can I trust and what is happening and who among us is you know not who they seem. Um, uh, and so that is, it is, it's fun to write that, but it's also hard because you're like, oh, wait a minute, there could be this possibility and I have to, you know, <laughs> so it's like right. as a, as a writer, sometimes you get a little crazy, like, ah, what about this? So, um, that was one of the hard things about writing this book is trying to figure out how all the threads come together, um, with the different stories and stuff and like what the backstory is and how things connect. And I, that's always very hard for me in general, but this one in particular was really hard. So speaking of of tracking those storylines, um, do you consider yourself a a pantser or a plotter, if to use writerly language? Um, I am definitely not someone who can outline an entire book before she writes it. I have to sort of feel my way into something, and I think that was part of the problem with the initial draft that I had was that I did outline it all the way because I sold it on a proposal and and they they wanted an outline obviously and I didn't really deviate from that outline when I was writing it and I should have I think I should have trusted my instincts when I was writing so I did learn something valuable from that and that is that I really need to at first sort of just write and see what happens and see who these people are and kind of go from there. And usually what happens, I think, this is only my third book that I'm writing now, so I'm nowhere near an expert. But for me, the process seems to be that I write a little bit, and then I kind of think something that could happen after that, and write that. And then as I'm writing that, like some, so it's um, the metaphor of of driving a car at night with the headlights. You know, I feel like I can see a little bit ahead of me, 
and I'll just keep going and hopefully the light will just keep illuminating more and more. Um, now at some point, I think once I get, oh, you know, a decent chunk of it, that it's good to kind of look at it and say, all right, where is this going? Um, and maybe do a rougher outline or backstory kind of stuff. But I really just need that time to, to play in the sandbox, so to speak, I think. Have you discovered uh, any tools or developed any sort of system for yourself that allows you to kind of track the story as you're going? Um, do, do you do any sort of uh, kind of mapping it out as you go? No, <laughs> I'm bad about that. <laughs> I use Scrivener. Do you yeah. know Scrivener? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, so Scrivener to me is a lifesaver. I don't know how I could write a novel without it. It's just such a... I love it so much and the way that you can see every scene down a line and you just click on it and bring yourself to that part of the book. Like if I had a unwieldy word document, I think I'd be more frustrated. Um, So I like that because I feel like that is in some ways an organizational tool, you know, because I'm I'm breaking things down into chapters or scenes and I can I can see them all listed for me. Right. um, Which helps if you can kind of look at a glance. Scrivener has a tremendous amount of tools and little widgets and things in there that you can use, like note cards, and you can tag character names and stuff. I don't do any of that, but it has, like, those capabilities. I think if I go too in the weeds with that, then I'm not writing, you know? Like, I'm I'm spending all my time, like, tagging a character instead of just writing, so I, I tend to get frustrated if I try to do that, but... Maybe I should. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's obviously working for you what you're doing. I don't um, know. <laughs> the 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 book is structured in a really unique way. Um, and if if you look at the table of contents, you can see the book bu- the book begins with Halloween, and then there's seven weeks before Halloween, and then you know there are, I think three chapters, and then. We uh we go back to Halloween, then we're six weeks before, and then five weeks, and and you are you're taking us on this interesting journey. Um, and you know if if we think about the the kind of the classic Agatha Christie, um, uh, plot setup, um, of kind of who done it. Um, this kind of turns that on its ear, and and we we know a lot in the beginning, and then we're trying to figure out. Um, why we know what we know um, sort of thing. How did you kind of develop the way that this, the book unfolds? Yeah. Um, so I wanted, I wanted there to be that countdown element because I, I wanted that sense of urgency that once this Halloween block party happens this year, everything is going to change. And and so and plus you know there's always that excitement of oh it's however many days until Halloween or Christmas or whatever it is I always think that there's that excitement factor but then there's also the like oh shit factor of we need to figure out what's going on and who this person is that's threatening us or whatever before the party Um, and so a lot of it was that just the, the structure of that was more to build that sense of urgency and tension. And the Halloween chapters, which were the most fun to write in the whole book, they were so fun to write. Those are also anchors of, 
So, so I am a slow burn writer. I, you know, like I, it takes, it takes a while for things to build up and, and explode and happen. I'm not like a, in the first chapter, you know, dead body shootout kind of writer. And so I, I need tricks to make the reader understand that like something's coming, just hang in with me. <laughs> um, and so for me, the Halloween chapters were that, you know, cause it's this anonymous voice is saying, promising you directly, hey reader, by the time you finish reading this, someone's going to die, you know? So that's like sort of my writer trick to readers to say, hang in, it's gonna happen. It just may take a little while. <laughs> And what a fun journey it is to go on. Um, uh, the Mother Next Door is one of my favorite books that that I've read this year. I'm I'm oh, telling you. everyone about it, and you know this is this is a great gift to give someone. Uh, you know, you don't have to wait till Christmas to give someone that you love a great a great book. Give them give them a, an early Halloween gift. <laughs> what what? Let's make that a thing. Why why can't we make that a thing? Um, the Mother Next Door is available everywhere now. Um, it's uh. In uh, in every format that you uh, you know love to read in uh, the paperback or Kindle edition or audiobook, have you listened to the audiobook yet, Tara? Um, parts of it, yeah. And there's there's three different narrators, which is awesome. Like they're all great. I love them all. So it's they're it's very fun. Yeah. That's so cool. I uh, I, I plan to listen to it this weekend. Um, you know, there's it's there's something different about when you read the arc and then you know you love the story but then listening to to someone act it out is is a, a whole other experience it is it's so cool yeah Very absolutely cool. well there's links to it in the show notes of this episode where you can go grab it today or go visit your local bookstore and uh you know support local books absolutely uh tara this has been so much fun chatting uh, where can people find you online if they want to dig into all the great stuff that you do um, I am at TaraLaskowski.com and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Tara L. Writes. Excellent. We'll link that up as well. Tara, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Thank you. This has been an awesome conversation. I really appreciate it. Now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from Richard Glebe's The Jason Crane Series. Jason yanked the coils of safety rope to one shoulder and heaved them out the attic window. The bundle bounced over the roof line and dropped to the yard below. He tightened the harness, making sure the shoulder straps were snug over his sweatshirt. He threaded his rope through the braking device, tested it, and clipped everything to the carabiner at his navel. So far, so good. Fireman Mike would be proud. His stomach flipped as he neared the octagonal window. Had he tied the correct knots? Would he get himself killed? Weeks had passed since Mike's tutorial and... But he had to attempt the break-in now, while both Van Brunts were at the Christmas Eve service. He swung his legs through the window and felt for the roof. His sneakers gripped the shingles and he wriggled out, grateful for once to have feet as big as snowshoes. He pulled on a ski mask and sang, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. He lowered his body. Wind punched him in the jaw like a supervillain, surprising him. His sweatshirt rode up and snow burrowed into his navel. He looked down but couldn't see his feet. He relaxed his hands and put a few ounces of weight on the rope. Clots of snow broke away, dove over the edge, and took far too long to hit ground. He drew his rope around the pipe and pulled tight. 
Now he could drop. No, you will not drop. You will repel. You will repel very safely. He backed towards the edge, towards the point of no return. The backyard lurched into view. It was a four-story fall, and he'd probably hit the stairs on the way down. He sledded helplessly. His legs fell, swung, and kicked the side of the house. Alarm bells went off in his head. He gripped the rope. It looked like nothing. A shoelace. Jason Crane, you're a damn fool. He went limp and fell over. The rope gave a jolt, and the harness tried to castrate him. He twisted, trying to save his poor descendants. He began to spin. His arm bashed through a row of icicles. The spin slowed, reversed, and at last he came to a stop with his back to the house, dangling over the backyard. Thank you, rope. That's a good rope. Well done. He tried to turn around, but couldn't. With patience, he worked out a method of kicking in circles and managed to press his sneakers to the side of the house. He needed slack. He gathered his loose rope to the small of his back and disengaged the brake. Zip! He fell fast, all his weight on the rope now. His feet, planted, shot up over his head. The brake caught him, and the rope vibrated as wildly as a guitar string striking a note of panic. Jason heard a crunching sound and looked up. The leaf gutter crumpled and poured a stream of bitter ice water into his eyes. He snarled and wiped his face, dripping humiliation. Jason rested a moment and stared at his reflection in the glass. He was an enormous Macy's balloon drifting over New Jersey, tethered at the navel like underdog. How the hell did you get up here, kid? He did an awkward split, one foot above the window and the other below, hanging sideways with his weight on one hip. He closed his eyes and reached for the sill, crouching against the side of the house. His fingernails found the weather stripping, and he tugged. Locked. He cursed and tugged again, anger rising. He grabbed the frame with both hands and pulled with all his spider strength. Something popped. The window rose and the curtains splashed out. Jason dove headfirst into the fabric, wriggled and kicked, let out some rope and fell with a wump into his archenemy's lair.